Hi, and welcome to Knox Talk. Today is Friday, August 21st, and we're going to talk about college sports. I'm Paul Sickman, and I'm always joined by Brandon Parks. Hello, Brandon. Paul Sigmund, Knox Sports, great to hear your voice today. Good to hear the folks from Rocky Top checking in as well. Today we're at non-Knox Talk. We're going to talk a little bit about COVID and how it's affected uh, sports in general and college football uh, specifically. I, I, You know, Brandon, I'm going to let you, you know way more about uh, university budgets than I do, but I thought I'd start off by telling kind of a story. I've, I've been asked this so many times, you know, how does, I had a reporter call me, I've had other people ask me, you know, how is COVID affecting or going to affect college sports? And I, I, I gave kind of an illustration. I said, you know, there are probably parents out there of, uh, of a young swimmer, and let's say this young swimmer's named Leslie, and Leslie started swimming at three, and she went to every, the parents went to every single meet they had, and, and now she's 16 years old, and she was just extended in a dream scenario, a scholarship to a Power 5 school to be a swimmer. Mom and dad are celebrating, and they're going to get to next fall and find out that scholarship may be taken away. And to mm. me, that's like the most poignant point about what COVID has done to college sports, because people too often, I think, think, in, in terms of just football, and, and we can talk about football in a second, but the, the ramifications are just gigantic. So uh, anyway, Brandon, I, I wanted to kind of open there, and then we're, we I thought today we'd spend a little time talking about just budgets and talking about college sports and, and how COVID is just uh, hammering even the schools that are participating. No, and I, I think you're exactly right, and your story, I think, is well taken. Um, when When the pandemic hit, I think most people initially thought about just the cancellation of the NCAA basketball tournament or the cancellation of spring sports. And then the conversation started about what does the fall look like? And so much of the focus has been on whether we're gonna play the games or not. And when you start peeling back all the layers and the dominoes that fall and how far reaching those ramifications are all the way down to a, a potential recruit who is who is trying to accept a scholarship to achieve something in their life that that has been a significant goal um, i will tell you that as every day goes by there's another layer that peels back and something that you didn't think about yesterday now is magnified uh, and I, I think that's been one of the most amazing things about this unfortunate ride that we've all been on, and specifically with college sports, is just how far-reaching the ramifications of the, of the virus have been. Uh, you, you really think about it, the games themselves are just a top layer. Mm -hmm. uh, and then when you start to dig deeper, uh, it's, it's remarkable just how many people are affected uh, in some way, form, or fashion, and, and most notably negatively affected, um, certainly um, from, from what's happened. I think one of the things that's kind of a misperception uh, is people kind of tend to, I think casual fans even, maybe not super fans, but casual fans tend to put the pros in college in the same bucket. And, and I'm going to give you one number that's kind of shows why that's not the case. The NFL is probably going to play without fans. At least half the teams are going to play without a, without a soul in the stands. And the reason is pretty clear. The NFL is going to get, each NFL team is going to get anywhere from 160 to $175 million a team in TV revenue. And, and that same college that your favorite school out there is only going to get maybe 30 to 50, you know? And, and so when you're talking about three and a half times 
uh, the number, that's why they can afford to play without fans and why the colleges can't. And and that and I think what I wanted to do today is kind of dig in, you know, to those numbers so people can have a better understanding of why college sports is just dramatically different because the perception, again, sometimes becomes reality, but it's really not. And I think where the perception has gone off the rails is that people say, well, they're paying these coaches these enormous salaries, and then they all have these Taj Mahal facilities. But I want to dig into that a little bit, and I'm going to use you use your help here, Brandon. I mean, let's say just in a, for instance that, you know, an SEC or an ACC or a Power 5 school, their average athletic budget, let's, let's for just for giggles, let's call it $150 million. And if that $150 million budget, if we talked about the TV money being 40 and we talk about the ticket money being pretty similar, probably $40 million, and your booster money being probably somewhere between 20 and 35 and when you fold in our world, which is selling and, and the sponsorship world, and you say that's you know 10 to 15, well, right there, you are at $100 million of the 150 is right there. That's not a coach, that's not a facility, and that's not revenue from any other sport. That's just football resulting in 66% of the revenue. And that's probably a low number for a lot of schools. I think it's probably closer to 70 to 80 in some schools. Um, and I, so I wanted to kind of unpack and talk about that a little bit more um, so that we could we could kind of figure out where this misperception comes, that, the, that college football is just making money everywhere. No, and I think your original point is very fair. There is a very big difference between the college sports world and the business of college sports versus a professional league like the NFL. Uh, and I, and while there are huge ramifications to the ACC and the Big 12 and the SEC playing, um, there's conversely significant ramifications because the Big 10 and the Pac-12 had decided not to play, and they, they have an entire world of budget issues that they're going to have to deal with internally that in a lot of ways are going to be more significant than the three that are playing. However, and I think you you broke it out accordingly, college relies so much on buckets of revenue versus versus a sole source or one single source providing such a large amount in the professional world. College relies on three or four or five buckets. And even though the three conferences really in the South have decided they're going to play, the numbers that you were talking about are still impacted in a significant way. Uh, when you look at TV revenue at, say, $40 million, that's only a percentage of that overall revenue budget. And in some instances, you know, that that can be 30 35%. Right. Uh, but the thought of not having fans in the stands well, then you're tapping into that to that other revenue. We talked about $40 million in ticket sales. Right. Well, if you only have a portion of those ticket sales, there still is a, a budget shortfall. So even on the perception is that we're playing football in the South and, and these three of the Power Five conferences are going to play, but the reality is there are sig still significant budget shortfalls even with us simply playing the game. Well, that's right. I mean, and, and again, you get back to perception versus reality. People are watching, you know, hey, they're going to have some fans, and we certainly hope that they do. And, I mean, I don't think there's a lot of magic around that 20% or 25%. I think that, you know, there are governors and politicians and CDC people that are telling them that's the number in order to safely social distance. But let's just throw that against the fire for a second. That 20% is significant to a college because that's probably going to represent 
I don't know, 60 to 80% of your top-level boosters are going to find a way to get into that ballpark, which means their donation is going to stay intact, which goes back to that last bucket. So if you can maintain that 20%, then you have a realistic chance of maintaining maybe 70 or 80% of that booster number. And so you take away the fans, and you t- then that booster number goes to nothing, or at least it goes to a really hard donation. And then it's just Katie bar the door in athletics, and it might be set back for a half decade. No question. Um, and, and how I think something that will be fascinating to follow is the individual decisions that each athletics department makes regarding how they are going to manage customer service, treat the donors and the season ticket holders. And if you're in the group that makes it into the stadium and you can attend the event, obviously that takes care of itself because you're paying for services that you're, that you're able to take advantage of. But you hear stories from around the country at other, at other schools uh, and the approaches that they're taking with the donors and season ticket holders that may not make that 25% cut. And one of the things that we have talked about in a big way from a Vol Network perspective and how we treat our sponsors and our partners is we're never going to make a six-month decision that will affect us for the next six years. Mm-hmm. And I think with every decision that's being made, whether it's a season ticket holder, a sponsor, whatever that may be, I think we have to be very careful in today's world and in the pandemic that we're living through to not make a knee-jerk type decision that's going to cost us the future of a relationship. That is, and, You know what, Brandon? I, that, that is so true. And let me tell you about some examples of schools that have done it poorly and schools that have done it well. And, and you know, I, I have the advantage of being able to talk to schools all over the United States about this. And, and I tell you what, one of the the schools that did it well, in my opinion, are the ones that contacted their donors and season ticket holders very, very early and asked them the question, gave them a chance to, to have some input. Um, and, and by that, I mean they give them just a simple three choices. Do you want to come to games if it's offered? Do you not want to come to games regardless? Or are you still on the fence? By giving your season ticket holders and your donors a chance to respond back to you, you're automatically, by the nature of what we're going through right now, are going to eliminate 33%. And they feel like they had a voice, and they can take their donation and feel good about it that they can come back next year. I have That's what has been done well at a lot of schools, and I'm sure Tennessee is one of them. But I have seen a bunch of schools that simply dictated, here's the opportunity, and gave their fans no voice. And, and then the fan feels disenfranchised and is, quite honestly, just a exact... Uh, picture of what you just talked about, where you take a six-month problem and make it a lifetime problem. No, and that's exactly right. Um, and, and sometimes we have to take our college sports marketing hat off, and we have to think as a fan ourselves, or we have to think as a partner uh, of the university ourselves and put ourselves in, in someone else's shoes. To me, it's all about just presenting options and season ticket holder we value the relationship that we have with you so we are going to give you options we're simply not going to dictate what you are or what you're not going to do and and it's i think it's really hard in this situation because it's really a no-win situation when you're talking about the volume of season ticket holders that populate these college venues but it's hard to argue if, if, the, if the institution or the media rights holder comes to you and says, hey, we're in a difficult position, but we're gonna work with you, we're gonna give you options, and we're gonna get to a place where you feel good about this at the end of the day. Because again, 
we want you around for six, 10, 20 more years. We don't want to do something short-sighted that's going to cost us the relationship. That's right. Well, I wanted to get back again to the perception thing, and I wanted to kind of finish, um, you know, this one talking about two things, you know, in terms of the, the, the net loss regardless. But I want to get back to the perception. We're talking about coaches and facilities, and I think there is probably some truth that college football maybe went too far. I think when you've got slides in your facility, you might have gone too far. I think when you've got, uh, you know, uh, racks and, and incredible mirrors and, and pull-out uh, couches and your uh, locker rooms, maybe you've gone too far. But all that being said, if you've got a Taj Mahal facility and you need it to recruit, I mean, let's just be honest, it is part of the game. You have to have a facility to recruit kids like toys. But if you have, let's say you have an incredible facility and it's a $100 million facility, which is probably double what you need in terms of trying to wow a kid. So at a $100 million facility on a, a 10 or 20 year note, you're only talking about five to ten million dollars a year in the budget, and if you're paying your head coach a lot right now, if you're a, an SEC program and you're maxing out and you're paying your guy anywhere from you know four to ten million dollars, okay, if you add those two numbers together, you're talking about a max of probably eight to fifteen million dollars, and eight to fifteen million dollars on a hundred and fifty million dollar budget is just about the make or break point every year for most schools. That is usually the plus or minus. They're going to be plus or minus 5 to $15 million every year in a great year. Forget about COVID. In a great year, most athletic departments are going to be plus or minus 5 to $15 million. And so their choice to build a facility or pay their head coach is the difference probably in them making or losing money. Now, add COVID in the equation – and most of these schools, regardless this year, and we're not talking about the Big Ten uh, or the Pac-12 who are going to lose 50 to $100 million this year. In the schools in the South, if they play football, and Brandon, you can correct me here, but I'm guessing that even in a good situation at, at, at Tennessee or Florida or, or Clemson or Florida State, I think they're going to lose anywhere from 30 to $50 million. Would you think that's accurate? Yeah, I, th I think that's accurate. And in fact, um, Coach Fulmer here, our athletics director, came out with a very similar number. Uh, I would probably call it an at-risk number at this point. Um, I do think there is um, Steve Early, who is our general manager, made a comment the other day that I thought was, was spot on. When people ask, what do you think football season is going to look like this fall? I don't think we'll know the answer to that. His response was, we will not know the answer to that until – it's over, and I think that's fair. Uh, but, but I think you're right. I think that you know, thirty to fifty million dollars at risk. And what's fascinating is that's at risk, and we're planning to play. So, what what is that like if if you're a a Big Ten school or a Pac-12 school? What does that budget that budget miss? Um, that that's magnified even more beyond us planning to play and, and the challenge that as we've dove into this is is obviously playing fewer regular season games so playing a 10 game schedule versus a 12 game schedule and then the partial or no attendance conversation and and when you dive into the numbers on that um, because again it's a, it's a domino number because it affects everything fewer games fewer fans everything by a percent reduces down uh, and it creates that that shortfall that you have, and that's a real challenge on how you're going to make that up. Yeah. Well, and and, and so, I think getting back to the originals, the start here, you know, is that that poor girl who's looking for a swimming scholarship when the but when in a good situation at at, uh, at every school in the South that's going to play this year, when they're losing thirty to fifty million dollars, I think the reality is is going to happen. There, there's going to be uh, Title Nine, uh, you know 
given scholarship reductions in a massive way. Uh, you know, men's and women's swimming, men's and women's volleyball, men's and women's whatever you say that's an Olympic sport. It's not a, a non-rev sport. I don't see any way in the world that, that those things are probably not going to happen uh, across the South, even in our best case scenario, which is what they're going to play football. So, Well, and, and to that point, one real challenge on that when you're an athletics department is, is and when you're running a business for that matter, you've got fixed expenses and then you have your variable expenses. And so in tough years, you can come in and say, we're going to make eight to 10% budget cuts on our variable expenses to make up any kind of a gap that you have. But the challenge that most athletics departments have is their fixed expense number is so large and a lot of that's going to, to fund the scholarships for student athletes, it's really hard to start cutting 8, 10, 20% without that becoming extremely painful on not only the employees of the athletics department, but then also the student athletes. Mm-hmm. I agree. All right. Well, that's, uh, that's about it for today. We're gonna, we can, uh, we've got a bunch of other subjects coming forward. We hope you continue to join us. This is uh, Paul Sigmund at Knox Sports signing off. And Brandon Parks from the Ball Network, thanking you for listening today.